This episode of Solutions in Senior Health is brought to you by Home Care Solutions in Pensacola, Florida. Hey, welcome back to Solutions in Senior Health. This is our third episode, and today we're joined by Dr. Rodney Gutman, Professor of Biology in the Hal Marcus College of Science and Engineering at the University of West Florida. Hi, Chase. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us today. No problem. So, uh, Dr. Gutman, will you tell us really quickly a little bit about the overview of your research before we get into... Sure. So, my main focus is on early detection and uh, potential treatment. So, mostly what I work on is looking to develop means to test uh, at the earliest possible stages using blood or cerebral spinal fluid for changes that are occurring that we know happened many decades before Alzheimer's disease can even begin. So to kind of very succinctly put it, we're looking for ways to detect early Alzheimer's disease as early as possible. And in parallel, we're also looking to develop new drugs for potential treatment. Um, that's a very important part because right now, of course, we have, there is no treatment or cure. So my lab also looks at that as well. So, Dr. Gutman, can you tell us what you're currently working on? Yeah, right now we have some really exciting data looking uh, for probes that we've developed to detect uh, differences in the tau protein. And not to get super technical here, but Alzheimer's disease pathologically is made up of plaques and tangles that we find in our brain. And so we're focused on the tangles, which are made up of tau. And um, since we're looking for early detection, we're looking for changes that happen to tau that may be occurring many decades before the disease begins. So in my lab, we've been taking, analyzing cerebral spinal fluid from individuals who are normal, and then as well as those who have Alzheimer's disease, and looking to find these differences in the tau protein. And we've been very fortunate here most recently to have a few candidates that look very promising. And so we're looking forward to pushing forward on that front. Now, where do you get your candidates from? Is that through a clinical trial or it how? Is, they are from a clinical trial. They're from uh, a group out in California that collects across a number of different neurodegenerative diseases. And so they have a biobank, if you will, of samples from people that they've evaluated. And so currently we, we purchase them from that, from that group. Okay. Uh, in my exercise program, I have a couple of ladies who have Parkinson's, early diagnosis of Parkinson's, and they've both been told that at some point they can expect to have dementia. Is that true? That's not 100% true. There are there are all kinds of different dementias. Mm-hmm. And so you'll have some that are associated with Parkinson's disease. Parkinson's disease is a movement disorder. So that's why you have tremor, rigidity, bradykinesia, that type of thing. Um, but many of them can experience a cognitive decline. It varies by the person. So not everyone who has Parkinsonism is going to develop Uh, cognitive decline to the extent like you might see in someone with Alzheimer's disease, but that certainly can happen. What are some of the ways that a researcher would determine or a doctor would determine that you do have this high chance of Alzheimer's or dementia? So the diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease is a bit complex, and it's really a diagnosis of exclusion. So one of the first things you do is look for other things that might be happening. So if someone is presenting with dementia, which is gonna be a change in cognition, which most people are like memory, reasoning, behavior, um, they're talking about visual, spatial, so having trouble in um, you know making drawings and recognizing people, that kind of thing. Um, so the first thing is you wanna rule out some obvious things. So make sure that they don't have what we call delirium. 
and they don't have some other psychiatric disorder. Because, you know, at the first point when someone presents, you may not have much of a history of, of who they are. So the first thing is kind of ex exclude those things. Then you'll move into cognitive testing. So you will do some examinations testing their memory, their abilities in each of the domains, the visual, spatial, the behavior, the memory, and so forth. And then that will be accompanied by an informant, which often is a spouse, but it could be any number of different people, someone who knows the patient well over time. Because as uh, you mentioned, you know, just because you're have a, you, you know, you show up and you're 75 year old, years old and someone recognizes, hey, you can't, re you're not recognizing, you don't remember anybody's name. Well, they've never been good at remembering names. That's not necessarily that you have Alzheimer's disease. That's just kind of who you are. So you're looking for a decline over time in one of those domains, you know, memory, behavior, et cetera. But it also has to impact you. So, um, you know, some people get concerned that they forget where they parked their car. Well, I mean, I'll forget where I parked my car coming in to visit you today. You know, we've walked all over to, tr to get back to where we're going to record today. Well, I'm going to leave the door and I'm, do I turn left or right? You know, and, and for a moment, I'm going to be confused, but I'm going to think it through and I'm going to recognize my surroundings. Oh yeah, I remember I passed that person's office and I'm going to go down there and I'm going to find my way out of here and go home. Um, so it's not really interfering with my social activities, right. my ability to work. That's when you're concerned is when it's influencing, you know, people are dropping their activities. That's that's a pretty, pretty significant alert that something's going on when, you know, they used to enjoy woodworking and now they don't want to go out in the shed and do it anymore. Something's up. Um, and then one final point is it has to be slow. Um, if you're fine one morning or, you know, one evening and you wake up in the morning and you're really having problems, that is not Alzheimer's disease. Something else has happened. Typically, that's going to be associated with some type of cardiovascular issue. Uh, and you're going to want to be, obviously, in any case, you're going to want to be evaluated as soon as possible to find out what's going on. And so uh, you, this is why you're an advocate of being tested sort of early on before you, like you said, in your 50s and 60s, just to go in and get a cognitive test, um, just to see as a baseline where you are at that moment, so that when you do come back when you're 75, you really have something to go by. I think that's a wise move that, um, you know, to make a, the diagnosis happens over time. So if you go in for a snapshot memory test that may or may not be indicative of where you truly are you know you could have had a bad day something's been going on maybe you're overcoming an illness you know you never know right when someone's 75 years old and that's true regardless but i think for for comfort it might be wise to go in when you're in your 50s or 60s before anything has really progressed that way your you know your clinical neuropsychologist or your adult neurologist has some notion of kind of where you are performing on these tests. So that can get to a probably a more, a quicker evaluation, a quicker result doing it that way. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. like anything else, you know, you want to, you know, you want to go get tested, you get your cholesterol right. tested, and your blood, blood pressure. pressure tested, you do all these other testing. Yeah. I mean, I think it falls within, particularly where we are in our society now, where we're living to be 80, 90, 100 years old. I mean, it's not unreasonable to, to think that that might happen to you. And yeah. so you just as a preventative not a preventative measure, but sort of a preliminary assessment. This is where I am. Mm -hmm. I and that's... I think don't people consider want to be tested early? I think maybe sometimes people might want to consider doing it in their 50s or 60s when they have had parents or grandparents with Alzheimer's and dementia. I would think that someone that has a family history, that, I mean, if you're concerned, Do go it. get a test. Yeah. Right. If you that way, you know, you know where you are because if there's something wrong, maybe there's something that can be done. Maybe you have a, 
a vitamin deficiency or something else is going on, an infection. I mean, you see all kinds of things mm-hmm. that affect people's memory and cognition. And, you know, if you're feeling like I'm not really on my game and my wife is or my spouse or my neighbor or whomever, someone that knows me well is telling me, you know, Rodney, things, you know, something's a little off. off. You know, something's <laughs> been off for a little while for you. You know, you should go get tested. You know, of course, you're a man. You probably won't. But right. um, <laughs> but that, you know, hopefully you have a, a strong, a strong, a strong female woman. in your that's life right. that's going to motivate you to go get tested um, and just find out one way or the other, because you may find out it's something that's treatable. And then right. there you go. Now you, yeah, yeah, it happens. Well, why don't you tell us what you're doing at UWF that's different from the studies that we read about maybe recently online? Sure. So there's a number of different, you know, you you have on a regular basis, there's, of course, there's thousands of researchers evaluating and trying to understand Alzheimer's disease and normal brain function for that matter. And there are a number of different um, studies that have come out looking at a variety of correlations. Um, you know, oral health problems, uh, gut microbiome issues. And then, of course, many years ago, there was the mercury filling scare. And then prior to that, it was the aluminum issue. Um, and you have a number of different things. And so, you know, at this stage of the game, and as most scientists recognize, you know, correlation is not equal causation. But it certainly warrants some pursuit. I mean, if it's there, you know, one should look at it and do a, do a proper controlled study to find out. Um, you don't want to leave at this point, you don't want to leave any stone unturned uh, because as you know, you know, we don't have a treatment or cure at this point. So you do need to kind of chase things down because I can't sit here and say, well, that can't possibly be right when I don't know that. Um, and I don't think anybody else can say definitively until you do the study. So um, I can only say what we focus on is tau. Um, that's my, my main focus uh, that has been since I was a graduate student. And I've continued to follow that up. Um, that's not to say that studying amyloid, of course, amyloid is a obviously very important element in Alzheimer's disease, and it warrants uh, and has and has warranted a significant study. Um, it's just not my area, so I've gone looking at the tau protein. So we're looking at uh, using tau as a as a measure, changes in tau as a measure of the cognitive change that's occurring in Alzheimer's disease. So we're you know we're just looking at. You know, you can't study everything in your lab. You have to kind of pick what you're going to do. And um, so while some people are focused on the microbiome and other types of things and plaques, uh, inflammation, uh, insulin regulation or glucose regulation, there's all kinds of things to to be evaluated. Um, We focus on tau. Some people that uh, other people that do research in in Alzheimer's disease uh, advocate the use of like this vitamin cocktail that did you should take vitamin b12 and d and things like that what do you what are your thoughts on that right so i think that for some people that's a benefit so the, the way i put it is this um if you're at a deficit for something so if you have a poor diet or you have some metabolic problem um, poor absorption then you're going to have to supplement your diet in order to get up to the normal levels mm-hmm. and so you will find people who benefit from taking higher dose vitamins or odd kinds of, not odd kind of vitamins, but they might need to supplement with fish oil or something else, mm-hmm. right? And their cognition improves. My, my take on it is, is that they were at a deficit 
So there was something about them, uh, you know, either absorption or they're not eating a enough of a varied diet or they weren't just normally eating enough, so they get a benefit. But that doesn't necessarily mean that because B12 helped them or fish oil helped them, it's something that everyone should now add to their repertoire of their diet right. it didn't because mean they're they not had, at a deficit. It didn't mean that they had Alzheimer's to begin with or anything. They just were at a deficit and now they're <clears throat> just normal. Right. So uh, it, it's a poor it's a, a poor example, but it's like, you know, putting oil in your car. You know, if, if someone's car, their engine is overheating and it's because they don't have enough oil in it. And so they put oil in their car and now their engine runs mm-hmm. better. It doesn't mean that every car needs to have oil added to Correct. it to make it run better. Yeah. If it's at a deficit, you add what's needed. It runs optimally. If you're already optimal, you don't need to add any more to okay. it. Is there a certain demographic of people? that are more prone or are less, should I say less prone, or you see less uh, diagnosis of dementia than you, some other place? You do see diversity in the rates of Alzheimer's disease across the planet. Um, the best example is Japan because they live longer because the, the number one risk factor for Alzheimer's disease is age. So you always have to kind of look at in any culture or group, what's their age? Are they living as long as other people? If, if they aren't, well, then it's going to be hard to say whether Alzheimer's is more prevalent in that community or less prevalent because it could be less prevalent because they're simply not living long enough. Um, but Japan offers an opportunity where you see they, they live longer on average than Americans do, um, and they have a lower rate of Alzheimer's disease than Americans do. Now the question becomes, why is that happening? And I think there are two main schools of thought. One school of thought is it's diet. Of course, Japan's an island. They eat a lot of fish, and so therefore they get a lot of omega-3s and all the other things that go along with eating fish. Um, They also generally are, we believe, are more active, certainly than Americans are um, on average. But the piece also is there is, is is it genetics? So is there some different genetic predisposition that they possess compared to the rest of, for America and the rest of the world. And so there have been some studies, and I haven't looked at them recently. It's been a few years since I've looked at them. But, of course, you have some people who from Japan who have moved to the United States. So there are, that opens up some opportunities to look mm-hmm. at what is the genetics, you know, that, that, that basic nature versus nurture argument. So is it genetics yeah. or is it the environment? So um, I don't know the complete answer right now. I know that there have been some investigations into that, but that would be kind of the two options. So you can always you have to be careful about going straight to the environment because mm-hmm. they're in a different location. There's also different genetics that, that take place. That's interesting. We've talked about things that are naturally preventative for Alzheimer's, like the genetics. Right. <laughs> but what if you have bad genetic? But what can we do if we are afraid of the risk of getting Alzheimer's or developing Alzheimer's in our later years. What are some things that might help us? Well, there's lots of data that have been accumulated over time to look at that exact question. Um, You know, with no treatment or cure, it's prevention. What can we do to prevent? And, and, you know, it comes back down to that classical eat right and exercise. Um, the other things you would add to that, and, and eating right and exercise, you know, includes, you know, a balanced diet. We throw that out sort of sort of a generic thing that we say. We don't really have a brain diet per se. There are some options out there, a lot of people, Mediterranean diet, and there's other researchers that have other 
um, nutritional supplements and programs that they've developed um, that are based on some pretty good science that nutrition plays a role. I think that's pretty intuitive. You know, if you have a horrible diet, you're, you're going to have, you know, you're going to suffer from obesity and some of the other metabolic problems that go along with that. And, you know, what's, what's bad for your heart is bad for your brain. And the opposite of that is what's good for your heart is good for your brain. Um, so on the diet front, um, there's, there's just a, a lot of variety out there you could choose from. I mean, again, I hate to give the pat answer, but, you know, you know, eat right. I think the best that we could offer would be a heart-healthy diet. Again, to go back to the idea of what's good for your heart is good for your head. So kind of taking a look at the American Heart Association and what their recommendations are about, you know, the numbers of fruits and vegetables and that type of thing. Um, and then exercise. Exercise is probably one of the more important things that you can do. Uh, maintaining good cardiovascular health is probably that is, and I'm not an exercise physiologist, but I mean, that is throughout the literature and throughout diseases and conditions that exercise is an important factor. And I think that we're going to see more and more of that over time, the benefits and the types of specific exercises and things that you can do um, to, to deal with that. At this stage of the game, uh, some of my colleagues who have researched into this, you know, trying to keep it simple, you know, something that that's doable because you're talking about older adults. And so they can't do they can't go to the gym, you know, five days a week and pump iron and do all these things. They just don't have the the physical ability to do that. But for those that can, they they probably should. Of course, you always have to check with your doctor about what you're what you should be able to do, what you should be doing. You don't want to just jump out there and start doing it. Um, because of something you heard on the internet, of course. Um, but, you know, walking, you know, trying to hit, you know, at least 3,000 steps a day, preferably 5,000, 10,000 steps a day. Um, that's a good start, getting out and gardening, doing chores. I mean, these are things that an exercise physiologist may say is not exercise by their definition, but what the what the literature suggests is that those types of things are important. Um, for particular people who are at, you know, the elderly stages, you know, if you're young and healthy, then, you know, you want to try to do is what you can again, within your, with your own physical limits. Um, and those are the big ones. So eat right exercise, but you want to reduce stress, whatever that is. If, you know, you like yoga or meditate or reading a book, um, whatever it is, you know, try to, try to reduce stress. The other thing that in sort of more modern times is dealing with your chronic diseases. So, because, you know, modern medicine and improved sanitation has prolonged our lives, we are living with more chronic diseases than we ever had before. I, I give the example um, of breast cancer. You know, 20, 25 years ago, a woman was diagnosed with breast cancer. It, the outlook was not good. Yeah. Now, in modern times, you have a diagnosis of breast cancer. The answer is, what are my options at this point? Yeah. So now people are surviving with cancer and HIV and mm -hmm. cardiovascular disease. You know, they've had a stroke or a heart attack and survived. That wasn't the case not that many years ago. Right. So you're you're gonna you're gonna have to do a better job uh, maintaining your health under those types of situations. And that, I think that's kind of where we are with it. So do you think that we have an increase in Alzheimer's and dementia? diagnosis now because we're more sedentary or is it just because we didn't really have the ability to diagnose it the i think the jury is out on that question in terms of the impact of being sedentary and its contribution to dementia down the road the reason for that may be that 
people who are sitting on the computer may be engaged mentally, you know, whereas yeah. something in there about being on the computer, you know, you're playing your games. I mean, if you know, you don't want to be playing games all the time, but you are mentally engaged. You know, you are planning, plotting, executing. Now, you're not physically moving, you know, you're just moving a controller, but at least from a mental standpoint, yeah. there is some mental engagement there. So I think the jury may be out on the impact of the computer and cognition to that extent only um, is my take on it. What I would say is the increase in Alzheimer's disease, so, you know, we're roughly 5 million in the U.S. or so, and that's been ticking up over time. That is not because there's been some change in the environment. And wait, or, excuse me. Did you say that's like 10 to 15% of the population? So people over 65, uh, 10% of people over 65 okay. have Alzheimer's okay. disease, roughly speaking. And because we're living longer. Right. Mm-hmm. So the answer is the the reason for the increase predominantly is that two things. One you mentioned is that there's a, there's a change. It is a more, uh, a more, more of an emphasis on an accurate diagnosis. So mm-hmm. it hasn't changed that much. It has changed a little bit in the, in the last uh, few years, couple of decades. It's still essentially the same. Um, the idea of slow progressive decline, not otherwise defined by some other disease or condition, memory plus one, plus some other change in cognition, behavior, language, that kind of thing. Um, but I think the primary driver, and I think this is generally accepted, um, but... Uh, is that we're just living longer. And so the idea of we're we're surviving the cancers and those things because of that, now we're we're living into our 70s and 80s and 90s mm-hmm. even. When, you know, 40 years ago you had a heart attack, you might not have made it. Right. And now you've you've had a heart attack at 55 and now you're 75. Yeah. Gotcha. And people do get more sedentary because I found my mom and dad and I tell this when I have a class, I say if you get up in the morning and you don't feel good, that's no excuse to do nothing. Absolutely. You have to get past that. You have mm-hmm. to feel good by moving. <clears throat> Take a walk or do something for yourself that day. Do not go back to bed because that's not healthy. You have to move. Right. And I, I call would, it motion lotion. I would say that, and that's true from the centenarian studies, that you know, people over 100, they will tell you that just keep moving. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Have something to do. Have a, have a, have a point to your day. Yeah. Even if it hurts, um, keep moving. <laughs> keep moving. I know I like for people, you know, people that are caregivers that, uh, you know, have their loved one, you know, try not to do everything for them mm-hmm. when they are still capable of doing some things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't like to use the analogy, but, you know, with children, you know, you're trying to get them to do more and more and more and more as they're growing up to keep, get them, as yeah. it keep the, make them independent. I think on the back end, it's the same thing, except you're just slowing down how much you're going to help them. Yeah. You know, you're going to provide them. Obviously, you're going to provide them help and support they need. But, you know, if they can do X right. without help, then I think you want to have them do X for as long as possible. Yeah. And it's that socialization, too. You want to stay socialized. You know, I, yeah. you know, you always hear, you know, you don't want to talk religion and politics. I think that's what you should do. Uh, you know, you want to engage, get you going, get you, going, you know? <laughs> get you pumped up. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's always going to be some hot political debate yeah. no matter what is going on. Um, and so not that that's the, the, this, you know, we're of course being a little bit silly about yeah. that, but you want to be engaged as much as possible. And so I think participating in a variety, whatever group it is that you like, you know, if you're a seamstress and you want to be in the quilt club, mm-hmm. you do that. If you're a woodworker, you want to be in the woodworker club, you do that. Yeah. 
Um, or it could be even teaching someone, you know, finding a neighbor kid that, you know, you might want to pass on your information. I mean, the idea of legacy is very important to people in general. It's not really on the topic of dementia, but legacy is very important to people. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's a way to kind of combine your building a legacy with keeping engaged. I mean, how much, that's one of the things about, you know, being out at the university and teaching young kids. I mean, they keep you on your toes. Right. Um, and so you kind of, I think, for, for you many gotta of us. you got to be on your game. Yeah. But, and you just see, you know, you're just surrounded by mm-hmm. it, right? And, uh, you know, young people excited about learning and yeah. excited about research or whatever it is that they're doing. I think naturally that kind of rubs off on you. Mm-hmm. And I think that for older adults, it might be a good opportunity. Um, you know, find the neighbor kid who, you know, maybe has a, may, might have an interest in, you know, building something or whatever it might be. You know, right. it, it could be anything. What's something that has you excited about the future? What's of coming Walls? down the pipe? Yeah, yeah. The, I would say there's there's a couple things, but the one I would I would want to mention, and um, it may be something a lot of people not heard about, but there was a study done recently looking at some genetic engineering using some gene therapy using something called the CRISPR Cas9 system. I know that's a little bit technical mumbo jumbo, but for some people they may want to follow up on that and kind of see. Um, a group was looking at altering the genetics from a gene called ApoE4 to ApoE3. And so just to kind of inform a little bit about that, so one of the main genetic risk factors for Alzheimer's disease is ApoE status, particularly ApoE4. That's sort of like the bad form compared to ApoE3, which is pretty neutral, or ApoE2, which is beneficial. Um, So for ApoE4 and ApoE3, there's very little difference between the two. And this group, in the, I believe it was in mice, um, had ApoE4 mice that they used the CRISPR system to alter to make them ApoE3 successfully. And so that leads to the potential. Of course, this is some years down the road. And, you know, you hate to always give these caveats. That follows, right. it, that follows every sentence that a scientist says about the latest and greatest type of thing. It's going to be more time. And, but that is the realities we live in. We don't want to... You don't want to rush this right. and make a make Especially a. Especially talking about gene therapy. Yeah, right. You don't change, want to. You could essentially change a person. Right. So you gotta you, know, you gotta take your time, um, but that's really exciting because you have mm-hmm. a you know somewhere, it's a fairly high percentage, you know, thirty to forty percent or so, depending on the study you look at, maybe as high as fifty percent in some cases of people with Alzheimer's disease have one copy of ApoE four, so in theory. If you could take these adults, uh, if the if it could work, and convert them from ApoE4 to ApoE3, then theoretically you remove that genetic risk factor from the population, um, and so you have a instantaneous huge benefit to society by pulling all these people out of the dementia risk pool um, because it's expensive to get Alzheimer's disease. Um, you know, you're pulling someone out of the workforce mm-hmm. plus two other caregivers on average. So Alzheimer's disease has a huge financial burden, not to mention the social, right. emotional, psychological burdens this places on families and communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the kind of the coolest thing I think I've seen lately. Um, not to say there aren't other cool things yeah. out there that people are doing. Um, you know, you can't mention, you know, it's always, ex- if I include something, I have to exclude something. So certainly don't want to exclude some of the other exciting research that people are doing. But that's the one kind of off the top of my head that I would throw out there. If people wanted to learn more about either case studies or clinical trials going on, or just learn more about Alzheimer's, where would you direct them? There's a great 
several great websites. So um, NIH, National Institutes mm-hmm. of Health, of course, the federal government maintains a fantastic website, and you would go for Alzheimer's disease. Mostly it's going to be on the National Institute of Aging. Um, so you would just have to Google National Institutes mm-hmm. of Aging and Alzheimer's disease, and it will I'm sure it will be at the top of the list. Um, the Alzheimer's Association also plays a big role in funding research and community advocacy and that type of thing. Um, so alz, alz.org, mm-hmm. much easier to remember. Um, they provide tons of information on you know, the biology of Alzheimer's disease. So then for clinical trials, the website to go to is clinicaltrials.gov. And so clinical trials of all stripes are located there. So whether you're looking for Alzheimer's disease or cancer or diabetes or okay. hypertension, that's where you go. And honestly, that, that website is phenomenal. It has a great filter. It's fairly easy to navigate and locate one near you. It's, it's great. That's okay. where I would go. Okay. That's awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if, do you have anything to plug before we leave? Uh, no, I appreciate your time. Um, you know, it's always fun, entertaining to talk about Alzheimer's disease and try to let people know more. I mean, the more people know and the more people can advocate for it, um, I think it's important. I think if there's another take-home message is, you know, for researchers like me and all of us across uh, the world, but certainly in the United States, you know, it's important for people to advocate. And that mm-hmm. means, you know, picking up the phone, calling your representatives, whether it's state, local, or federal, um, or go visit them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important for people to know, you know, you don't, you know, um, most of the research dollars come from the federal government. And if your politician doesn't know that it's a concern for you, then how are they going to advocate for you? And so I think if there was a take-home message, I would just encourage people that are passionate about it. I know there are millions of them, obviously, Mm -hmm. that are impacted by it, is pick up the phone, call your representative, let them know, tell them your story, make them aware of what's going on, why it's important to you, and what you need. Mm-hmm. And even better is go visit. Yeah. You know, call them on the phone, schedule a visit, and let them know. Um, I think there's been a lot of success doing that, um, particularly here in the state of Florida, has done a fantastic job um, with a lot of the research that they're doing. And uh, the federal government has, is making strides uh, every year. Um, so I think that's, if I had a generic take home message for your type of audience, that's what I would recommend. Get more, get more dollars in the budget for. Right. Alzheimer's research. That's right. That's how that's how things happen for HIV. That's how things yeah. happen for cancer. That's how it happens. Okay. Right. And this is something that can affect all of us. Mm-hmm. That's right. So thank you so much. Well, thank thank you, you so much. I appreciate it. I had fun. Please thank join you. us again. You bet. Anytime. Thanks again for joining us for Solutions in Senior Health. Please feel free to leave a review. Leave a suggestion and subscribe.